So we looked at 11 different indicators since 2012. Every one of them points towards increasing insecurity in work. And it's the combined effect of it that I think is, uh, is quite concerning. Uh, the fact that most of us no longer can count on a permanent full-time job and the security that comes with it. Hello, my name is Jan Brzezniewski and this is The Strife, a podcast to discuss issues in Australia with a long term in mind. In this episode, we're talking about work, specifically the jobs we have now, the jobs we'll have soon, and how the boundaries between employed and unemployed are beginning to blur. That's right, precarious employment. My guest today, Dr. Veronica Sheen, defines precarious employment as essentially a temporary arrangement between a worker and employer embodying a degree of uncertainty for the worker. And this form of work is on the way up. Based on her research for an upcoming chapter in a book compiled by German social researcher Peter Herrmann, Dr. Sheen says, Digital technologies have a major part to play in precarious work, but other factors related to government policy can't be counted out. So while the rise of the machines in our workplace gets us pretty worked up, It's worth thinking about the intentions behind these technologies and where work is headed. Here's my chat with Dr. Veronica Sheen. So I'll start with the most simple question to kick off things. Uh, What is precarious employment? And would you say that it is intrinsically a bad thing? I'm going to go out on a limb and say, yes, I think it is intrinsically a bad thing. Now, we can separate out different forms of um, employment that are not, you know, um, casual work is not necessarily a bad thing for, you know, a teenager working at the local supermarket a few hours a week. But precarious employment, the way it's developed over the last 20 years, I think it is basically a bad thing for, for most people. The problem, the central problem is that the economy and society is still basically built around um stability and security and yeah. with the very high rates of precarious employment now you can't have you can't actually fulfill your uh, social and economic obligations so um, how do you the simple problem for simple day-to-day problems of being able to rent a house or buy a house or bring up children give them a sound and stable sound education stable upbringing just the whole suite of life depends on security and stability and employment is absolutely intrinsic to that. So I do believe that precarious employment is a bad thing and that's not to say that casual jobs, we all had them as teenagers or even beyond as students, yeah. that's one thing, but the extent, the range of precarious employment as it is now in the economy and in the labour force is intrinsically a bad thing. And outside of casual employment, are there other forms of um, insecure or precarious employment? Yeah, yes. Look, casual employment, as it is now, has in Australia, has remained about twenty-five percent of employees, people employed for the last twenty years. It actually, hasn't changed that much. Okay. But there has been a great increase in other sorts of precarious employment, particularly contracting, subcontracting. Yeah. We also have the rise of this so-called gig economy. It's actually quite a small proportion of employment, but it's still still out there and, and more and more people are relying on those sort of you know, little jobs, Uber or Airtasker or um, 
in the United States called Amazon Mechanical Turk. So that that's increasing. But really, it is this um, sub contracting and subcontracting and what what we call sham contracting. So okay. um, I live in the western suburbs of Melbourne, so a lot of factories and industries. Um, what happened with a lot of workers was that um, um, they were permanent and then they were turned over to labour hire labour hire companies yeah. and they're still doing the same the same jobs but under contract so they don't know from year to year what you know what their working arrangement is and it's those developments that have been really very um very troubling in the world of work for so many people yeah and just with the shoe on the other foot what are the benefits of this sort of flexible um, workforce for employers well basically well, flexibility just goes with really very tight management of your um, overheads and your outputs so you can um, calibrate your your workforce to, to your day-to-day needs. What I've seen in my own research that rise the on-demand economy, so really... Uh, work is very associated to to what a, what a business needs at a particular particular moment in time, but um, they sort of overlook some of the downsides. Employers can overlook some of the downsides of that, so you know they don't really build up you know skilled workforce. They have people coming coming in and out. You know, there's no um, real stability or commitment to to doing a good, well. People need to do a good job, but um. It is a shallowing out of, um, of the labour force of the skills, so it's really bad for overall productivity in my in my view. Mm-hmm. And internationally, would it be correct to say that Australia has a reasonably high level of casual work and, um, yeah, I guess underemployment? And what are the forces that have led to this uh, current level of precarious work? Yeah. Well, Australia is, you know, according to the OECD, uh, world leader in precarious or insecure employment, and yeah. they've been saying so for, for some years that um, Australia is leading on that. Now, one of the one of the things that um, is sort of very interesting around that is that, uh, say, economies such as France, for instance, so Macron, um, mm-hmm. they're trying to get a more flexible workforce because they think that that the rigidities in the labour market in France are mm. such that it's actually preventing, you know, more young people, especially going into getting getting good jobs. And I, and I kind of, I actually meet quite a lot of um, young French people, and um, they can they, they do complain about that. So look, there is a real tension there about about flexibility and and some of those old economies where there's a great great rigidity in in workforce. I suppose charters or yeah, um, yeah. But Australia has um, is renowned for its flexibility, but the problem is that um, you know so many people are really left you know seriously left out by that and um, caught in long term precarious traps. So that is the that is what's really happened in Australia. So in terms of um, the Australian Council of Trade Unions. Saying based on OEC data, data saying that Australia has the most, the third, third highest level of, of precarious employment in the OECD. Uh, they put the ACTU sa- says it, it constitutes around forty percent of the workforce, 
and the Australia Institute is saying around 50% using various indices. I think I think they push push those out, but I, I would, based on um, my research over a long period of time, my doctoral research and so on, I would put it a conservative estimate would be about one-third or 33% of the workforce in okay. the um, areas. Yeah. So that's obviously um, a reasonably high level of precarious work, and we've talked a little bit there about the kind of conditions this, this creates for people um, in the workforce. Um, mm. But what about the jobs that they're performing? Uh, what Which jobs do you see as likely to grow in the next few decades? You know, we've, we've heard so much and, and so much written and spoken about automation and robots and the real the big losses in jobs, but if you get... Um, with all the the reading and even my under, understanding from my research, it's not not just about that. It's how uh, it's really strong growth, and what comes through through um, so much new research, including from the um, United States Bureau of Labor Statistics, they're projecting out very strong growth in jobs in human services and in teaching and healthcare. And these are the really really um, predicted to be the really strong strong growth area. So certainly there is emerging you know new forms of work in the sort of new with the emerging technologies. Yeah. But actually a lot of it is going to be in healthcare and you know, human services and, and teaching mm-hmm. and what is called labor intensive jobs. So um, trades trades work um, um, in the United States they talk a lot about people who um involved in fitness and um, the, sort of the wellness campaigns and so on, you know, those sort of areas are going to be very, the real the real growth areas of the future. So, yes, yeah, strong jobs growth, but not necessarily related to, you know, computers and automation and, you know, we all coding and so forth. Yeah. Okay. So that's obviously quite different to what I guess would be discussed um prominently in the media when it comes to the workforce of the future, where we hear about um, advanced technologies, uh, digitalization, um, and how this would affect uh, job numbers, basically, the loss of work. But in your research, you focused on two different phenomena, which are integration and fragmentation in the workforce. What exactly do these mean for Australian workers? Well, this is this is what I believe are really the, mar- the more important um, areas of how digitalization is affecting affecting work. So, yep. it is a question of uh, how computers are, are becoming enmeshed in in jobs, and there's so work so such a powerful thing, and, and it's not really recognised. If you're an aged care worker or a nurse now, you often wear a device mm. which monitors how long you are with with a patient okay and you have set number of patients to see and a set number of minutes to do your job um within a and move on to the next one and people don't understand that but it's actually really stressful and difficult and i've you know i've met people and spoken to people about and it's actually you know makes makes a lot of work really intensive and in office jobs people maybe um, having to wear modest monitors to which actually, um, so all their movements are monitored on a 
you know, all the time, so their productivity is constantly being controlled. Yeah. Now, in my own research, um, people working in course in administration, their outputs on a hour-to-hour basis were constantly monitored in call centres, in warehouses, uh, so so intrinsically part of how many, so many jobs are now. That, but it just does, in my view, doesn't get um get enough, you know, isn't out there enough. So it's that integration mm-hmm. of um of machines and computers into our working lives in so many ways. And then what can happen? What have often what computers can and um, automation and uh, the whole digitalization can facilitate is more breaking up of jobs. So okay. in the past, we like to leave a particular job. Um, receptionist might be, you know, whatever, answering phone calls, making coffee, writing, writing, you know, typing up notes or something. But um, what digitalization facilitates is breaking up of jobs into little little bits and, you know, contracting them out, putting them on into the gig economy, um, just, you know, what I consider fragmentation of work. So that is the other big, big thing that is happening too, and that doesn't get enough um, airplay either. And those are the much more critical things that are happening about, rather than job, lo- job loss. It's actually our um, digitalization affecting how, how jobs are done mm-hmm. and, and the structure of work and employment um, the t- what's called taskification, that's where the gig economies are so, you could, the gig, these gigs like Airtasker and Upwork are so good that they, you know, can break jobs down into little bits and, you know, send them out to whoever, you know, people compete to do them. Yeah. So, you know, that's part, that's a really important part of what's happening now. So, another topic which you have brought up in your, your research is the influence of the government in contributing to increased precarious work. Yeah. Uh, I think you've mentioned things like uh, austerity measures coming from the government, uh, punitive social welfare conditions, but also the nature of work being done by people in public positions. Could you just elaborate on that a little bit? Before? Yeah. Um, well, this was something certainly strong, a very strong part of my own research, my doctoral research, was a number of, people who had had good jobs in the past in the public sector and had lost them. And the thing is that um, so much so much work in the public sector has become is contracted out or, or outsourced, outsourced now. Yeah. This was a very big theme. The Australian Council of Trade Unions um, uh, had a big inquiry into precarious, insecure work in 2012, headed by um, former Deputy Prime Minister Brian Howe. And that was a really important part of their findings was that, you know, that old source of good jobs in the government had really, had really been, um, fractured and mm-hmm. broken down so much. And, and yeah, it was exactly what, what I found too. So, so yeah, governments, um, are very, very tough minded now around, um, employment and they try and yeah. make as much employment as, uh, minimize, um, you know, they, their core workforce contract out as much as, as much as they can. And I just want to give you, give a figure around that because I yep. think it is really important. A couple of years ago, um, the Commonwealth government advertised for, they had 1,250 permanent jobs in uh, organizations like Centrelink and Medicare mm-hmm. and so on. So there was 1,250 jobs and they had 41,000 applicants. Now the thing was, if you had to actually be working in the public sector 
already to even apply for for those. So that just gives you an indicator. So they're mainly just casual and contract workers who are trying to get a, get a permanent job. So that was just just shows massive um massive level of of precarious work in the public sector. And that's part of austerity that, you know, I mean, they're trying to minimise costs. You know, we still have all the fiscal pressures and there's so much politicians um, always on about, you know, um, budget balance and, and so on. You know, the cost is being worn by so many people in um, in the public sector. And it's also really serious in, in where the jobs growth is going to be. So in healthcare and mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. education, you know, so many jobs are contract work and you know having been working you know in the um in universities yeah i've I've seen well it's what i've what i've lived you know and then the other part part of it is um social policy so if you're receiving a new start and unemployment payment you're you're required to take any job at all that suitable so you're not allowed to um forego on precarious work you have to take it so it actually promotes the growth of precarious precarious work, and that's yeah. important um, important part of what's happening now too. There's the really tough um, social welfare requirements around um, job take up on anything. Okay, so if somebody is receiving um, an unemployment benefit and they're offered a role that is um, not full time, uh, casual contract. They're they're obliged to take that role. Yes, they are. Okay. Um, and just something that you mentioned earlier, in Australia, um, what would you, you said that uh, for the last 25 years we've had a similar level of um, casual work. Yeah. How often do people in casual roles then find themselves promoted to part-time or a full-time contract? Uh, that's a really interesting question. And well, are, are there barriers in place uh, that yeah, prevent that from happening? Yes, yes. Uh, well, I've um, in paper that I've been writing for a German publication recently, and in my own research, some of the longitudinal studies. So there's the household income and labour dynamics study um, run by the Melbourne Institute. So it's a very large. I think there's seventeen thousand participants. Been running since the year two thousand. A real very good. Yeah paper that was written a few years ago in 2013 by um, by a researcher said that um, actually the capacity to get out of casual jobs, especially if you're an older older worker and you're a woman, are, are, are quite limited. And um, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of now, a lot of um, just recycling or staying in a precarious job for a very long term. And in my own research, there were people who have been in their casual jobs for years on end. Also cycling back into unemployment and or out of the workforce. So yeah, um, this old idea that you can you just get a casual job and then move on to a better job is increasingly just not how not how things mm-hmm. work anymore because there simply aren't the, the full time permanent jobs there to to absorb the those casual workers anymore. Yeah. So it seems quite obvious that there's been a degradation of. I guess what we call um, the traditional rights of, of workers. And traditionally, these, these rights have been fought for by the trade unions, which you mentioned. How can unions assist a fragmented workforce? Well, they, 
they do need to really find their ways into the casual, you know, casual precarious workforces. But that that is very difficult. And in you know, my own research, you know, a lot of the um, people just, you know, they don't, they're not, um, they're not strongly engaged enough, and mm-hmm. they don't earn enough to um, be involved in in their in their unions. So the unions have to work much harder at at um, involving and reaching out and representing representing those workers. So that's part of the challenge. Yeah. They also need to work much more strongly with um, unemployed workers. Now in Australia, we've got the We've um, got a new Australian Unemployed Workers Union, which I think is doing a really great, mm-hmm. great job in trying to um, get past this, well, this impasse that social welfare is in, where people are required to take on any any precarious job. But um, the unemployed are part of the workforce, and and increasingly, what's really important conceptual um, conceptual thing to to get is that um, a lot of this old idea of employed, unemployed is increasingly irrelevant. And what's really important to understand is that this is a very um, grey area now. So unemployed, employed, unemployed, as we know, um, being defined as employed, maybe just defined as employed for one hour a week, mm-hmm. which is absurd. So it's a very grey area, but the system still operates around these loose inexact definitions of what constitutes employed and unemployed and and it must really work past that. And unions need to take that on and really accept that um, unemployed people are part of the workforce too and represent them uh, much more substantially than they do. Okay, and the, the new union that's been set up for the unemployed um, workers, you've seen some, some positive signs in that area? Well, I think it's really, really tough. Um, I mean, the government is, or government, both Labor and the coalition are, are you know, they just sort of really haven't given much, <laughs> really, um, you know, made anything easier around social welfare conditions. But, you know, they've just got to fight. And even if it takes years, well, the fight's got to be, got to be done, you know, got to be had. That's all there is to it. And unions have got to, got to be part of that. Yeah. So we're seeing pressures from the private sector and the government, the public sector, uh, that are contributing to a more precarious workforce in Australia. Uh, you see more insecure employment in Australia going forward. Uh, perhaps in an attempt to finish up on a slightly positive note, could you outline your ideal vision for the future of work, something that we could work towards? Well, personally, in what more what I think is that uh, government jobs, especially with the growth in healthcare and aged care services and uh, education, a decent funding for those services and, and really um, secure jobs in those areas would be a good start. And I, I also believe, and based on my own research, that if government actually behaved and um, you know gave good conditions, that actually would have an effect on the private sector would it be leadership? It also mean people um, so would have actual genuine choices about about um, the work that they they have, so that they can actually make a choice to get a good job in government and tell the private sector to you know stick it. Yeah. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, I I just my own view is that 
governments um, can have a really strong leadership role in in um, creating secure jobs, and the jobs should be secure. I mean, healthcare and social assistance and the education and training areas, that is where that is just absolutely cru- crucial to the economy and to the to our society and people should have, you know, secure jobs in these areas. Simple. Yeah. Simple. And how would you how would you change maybe the welfare system a little bit as well? Yes, and and then uh, having a, a social welfare system that pe- people um, could did have the choice not to accept insecure jobs. Now there is a great debate at the moment about universal basic income and mm-hmm. sort of get mm-hmm. it, but I. I have concerns about it that um, it could actually mean people are – I'm just really concerned about the UBI with its uh, potential to create significant divisions in society, especially actually fostering more inequality. But I think that revamping the social welfare system, making unemployment payments decent, making the um, requirements less punitive um, and and a real focus on getting people – um, decent jobs rather than just having to accept precarious jobs would, would be um, actually mm. beneficial. That's not to say the UBI, I think it's a, it's maybe will come of age in years to come, but at the moment I, I think there's a lot of lot of risks in it involved. Yeah. It's not the first step to take, is that what you're saying, in terms of uh, reform of the welfare state? Yes. Okay. Okay, well, thanks very much for answering my questions today, Veronica. Was there anything that you wanted to, to finish on or anything you wanted to mention? Well, I think we um, did a pretty good job in covering, covering everything, so um, we'll leave it, at, leave it at that. Perfect. So there you go. Something to look forward to. Or... If you're not too happy about the direction we're headed, something to start talking about and fighting against. Once again, that was Dr. Veronica Sheen providing some insight into her research on precarious employment. The song you're about to hear is by Adelaide band Workhorse. You might know the members of Workhorse from some of your other favourite Adelaide bands, but if not, this is a perfect chance to get acquainted. Thanks as always for listening.